All right, wonderful. Yeah, hey, so go ahead, take seats wherever. If we see more people coming in, we'll put up more chairs, but they're smattered around for them. All right, so we will begin. Um, we'll begin with the prayer, then kind of an update, and then all of us are going to go together through um, the sacraments of healing that are here tonight. Um, so I think that's perfect. All right, let me get my book out. There we go. All right, I say we say a short prayer uh, before we begin. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, you sent your Son to heal us ultimately. To come in contact with him is to be healed. So we ask that as we understand the sacraments of healing this evening, um, may we be healed wherever we need it, physically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually. May we invite Christ into those places that we think are unhealable because he is our divine physician and can heal anything. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, well, we'll do some housekeeping, as you see. Uh, tonight, there is like four sheets. Um, I didn't get as fancy with the PowerPoint. There's just some pictures. Uh, mostly a walk around, talk to you, get some questions answered kind of night um, from my end. And so what you'll see is a front, a back, a front, and a back, hopefully, on those and remember this QR code, hold your phone up to it, and it will send you to our anonymous question section. As we talk about the sacraments of healing, there's probably a lot of questions surrounded about this, especially with confession, uh, the big old scary confession. Um, you know, a lot of Catholics have slang for it, like the box and uh, very ominous things. But um, the more we can lighten that through understanding tonight, the better. All right, so first with our housekeeping, Ash Wednesday is next. Wednesday. I was going to say Friday for some reason. Is next Wednesday. Um, and so people receive a sacramental um, sign. And you you might see, you might have seen this in public or even on ESPN. Tony Reale has been having, you know, his ashes publicly for like 16 years or something like that on ESPN around the horn, if you ever watch that. Um, so it's a sacramental sign of ashes on the head. It's done differently throughout the world. Here in America, there is the sign of the cross right on the forehead. And sacramentals are practices that help us meditate. Sacramentals are open to anyone, any any last person. Doesn't you don't even have to be Christian. Um, you know, as as holy water, you know, you you people who are non-Christian or are non-Catholic are welcome to use our sacramental signs. Now they point to something that someone who is not baptized might not have, but it still is asking for a blessing. So feel free to be using these sacramentals in your life. Holy water points to baptism. It's that reminder uh, as you have that. Um, one thing I like to do is if I am having, uh, you know, either a longer day and it feels like my mind is getting muddled, like I'm remembering too much or I've learned too much that day, I actually just take some holy water and, and do the sign of the cross just, just on my head, just to kind of ask for that blessing. Um, so if I have to speak, sometimes I'll go in there and bless uh, my lips, uh, maybe my beard a little bit too, but, um, but holy water is asking for that blessing. Feel free to use this. The, the blessed ashes are a universal sign of repentance and returning to God. So um, use this or receive it, go up there, tell people, you know, if you go to a morning mass and receive the ashes and you're at work and someone says, oh, I didn't know you were Catholic. And you said, well, 
you know, and depending where you are in your faith journey, it's like, well, no, but did you know that it's open to anyone to receive? So do not have to be Catholic to receive that blessing. Come on up, no matter where you are on your journey of faith. Um, it's not a holy day of obligation. The holy day of obligations are those solemnities that are that are really like come and worship today because this is a core part of our faith. So not a holy day of obligation, even though a lot of people might treat it that way. Just letting you know, um, feel free to receive ashes and feel free to start blessing yourself with holy water. Hopefully I've kind of made all that clear. Um, any questions on Ash Wednesday? Our mass times are. See you at the 640 a.m. No. OK, fine. Uh, 640 a.m. 8 a.m. is the school one. So you'd be joining all the kiddos. Uh, 5.15 p.m. and 6.30. So while there's no RCIA, there's still CCD. And what we'll do is like the CCD for the first half hour, and then we bring all the kids to a section. If you read that email from Carrie, um, CCD parents. Um, but yeah, so this free time is for us to free you up to be able to go to Mass if this is the one that you would like. Um, so yeah, those are our Mass times next Wednesday. All right, feel free to ask questions. I'll check the anonymous later because we we got to get going. Uh, and then this is a reminder, Father Walmeyer kind of talked about those who are discerning the faith, um, the right of election. This is with our, with our bishop. It's not during a mass, but it's on uh, February 26th in the afternoon, 3 p.m. at our cathedral. Um, so no mass. It's not a mass, so you go other times. And we invite each candidate, their sponsor, sponsor's proxy, to sit with them and then the family can come they just wouldn't sit together with them i i love this because our bishop is a is a convert to the faith and so going to this is him giving his own personal witness of what he went through to come to become catholic and um i'm not going to steal his stories but they're amazing his first story of confession i really hope he tells it it's hilarious um and it just kind of lightens the mood around it too so Hopefully you can make that just kind of reiterating from last time. February 26th, 3 p.m. Great. Oh, yeah. For some reason I have that twice. Well, I copied and pasted. All right. So that's that first part, housekeeping. So the next part that uh, I want to talk about that's not up here. Again, this isn't as fancy as the words that I, a lot of words that I type. I just want to do maybe like a mini review of the sacraments themselves here in this next section. In general, review the sacraments. So Jesus wanted a way that um, throughout the ages, he, I mean, he said, I'll remain with you until the end of the age. And so he literally meant that where he wants to come in contact with you, actual contact. And a lot of people just view God as kind of the far off. Um, if I pray to him at a distance, that's where he is. He's over there. But I mean, God becoming man gave us a means in order to come in contact with him. And so that these are what the sacraments are. He he showed us ways that we will still touch him. So this that second part, sacraments are the form and matter. Form and matter just means the words and the stuff. So if the Eucharist from last week, the form um, and matter. So the matter is the bread and the wine. That's what's there, the stuff. And then the form is the words. This is my body. This is my blood. Uh, so those two things cause Jesus to actually do something through his priests. Okay, so that's kind of the mini review of what the sacraments are. They're ways that Jesus keeps coming in contact. 
And then here are all the sacraments put into categories. I don't know if we've done that yet, so I just really wanted to reiterate it. There are sacraments to initiate, to bring together, to join us together, to make us one community. And those are baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist. Um, there are some that are repeatable, baptism and confirmation, not repeatable. They're one and done because that contact with Jesus changes you, changes your soul for the rest of your life. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas calls it an indelible mark, indelible. There's a mark on your soul that is, that is made permanent by baptism. Uh, baptism is you are, you are God's son or daughter, and that is permanent. You cannot erase that. That contact with Christ with the form and the matter, I baptize you, the form and the matter, water, put a mark on your soul that forever you are God's daughter or you are God's son. Okay, so these are the initiation. Eucharist is repeatable and he, just like food, repeatable. So tonight we're going to talk about the sacraments of healing, penance and reconciliation, um, i.e. confession and anointing of the sick. And then later sacraments of service, matrimony and holy orders. Very beautiful. Okay. Any questions on sacraments in general? Like those categories? Do you kind of find that helpful maybe to be like, what are these seven things and what are they meant to do? Hopefully that can kind of like put them in cat. I'm, I mean, as you can tell with my categories and subcat, I can't get rid of my engineering life. It's just, it's so beautiful to have subcategories and outlines and um, I just love it. Go for it. Yeah. Oh, so this one you do not receive. So there are some that are irrepeatable. So holy orders is a one and done. When I placed my hands in the bishops, well, the bishop did two things. He anointed my hands with oil, the palms of my hands, and then he placed his hands on me uh, like they did in sacred scripture. So that's another one that's one and done. So that one is one and done. So the repeatable ones are the Eucharist, penance, reconciliation, and anointing of the sick. Yeah, those are the three. The other ones are like, put a mark on you permanently. Great, great question, I love that. All right, let's get into it then. Well, that was a lot in like 12 minutes. I feel like I'm talking fast, but that's okay. Um, sacraments of the healing. If you haven't gotten this, I highly recommend it. It's called a UCAT or a youth catechism. Um, doesn't matter your age, I know it's for youth, but I know I've recommended it before, but for those who are new, because we have our CCD parents as well, um, the UCAT is really good, the catechism, like what is the faith with pictures and then short, short explanations. So I've plugged that before. So the people who are new here tonight, try to get that UCAT because it's really good. So from the UCAT, I went to it and I'm like, okay, what are the sacraments of healing? Here's what it says. Christ's love is shown in the fact that he seeks the lost and heals the sick. That is why he gave us the sacraments of healing and restoration, in which we are freed from sin and strengthened in our physical and spiritual weaknesses. So the sections of a changing contact with Christ uh, come in these sacraments. There's when Jesus healed, he did it in a bunch of different ways. There are times when Jesus you know, touched someone and they were healed. There were times when someone just touched the tassel of his cloak and someone was healed. There were times when he was miles away and he said, they are healed, go home. 
and sure enough, they were healed. There was also one healing from the gospel this morning where Jesus spit and he put, um, you know, mud on the eyes and wiped it and said, okay, what do you see? And the guy was like, he was blind. I should have mentioned that first. Why did he touch his eyes? Well, he was blind. And so he looked up and he said, I see people that kind of look like trees, meaning it's pretty blurry. And so then Jesus touched him again and he said, well, what do you see? I see clearly. Like he completely saw healing, healing of his sight restored. That healing points to the fact that there are times when God heals in increments or a progression. So sometimes we think like God didn't heal me instantly, so he's not working. So what I like to do is kind of look at my own life and see what has he healed like progressively, like a wound from the past or something. Um, there would have been like... Um, a great example was, well, I'll just share really quickly. Um, my senior year in high school, we had football two-a-days. And so after football two-a-days, do they do two-a-days anymore? Do they kind of, they still do them. Okay, good. Um, good for them. So I was exhausted and we lived 15 miles away on gravel. So I had to drive 15 miles home or what am I saying? 15 minutes home on gravel. And I just got home and exhausted. And my grandma had lived with us since the day I was born till the day she died. Um, so here I am and I'm like, grandma, like I forgot my sister in town. I'm so tired. And she, I had kind of woken her up from a nap. I promise this makes sense. So I woke her up from a nap and I was like, grandma, I am tired. Do you want to go get Elise for me? And she's like, oh, I'd love to. You, you just uh, get cleaned up and relax. So she comes home, um, has my sister and everything. And so it was like four days later that we kind of noticed that grandma was sleeping a lot more. Uh, she was not mentioning it because she was just very much a trooper. But it turns out that she did have stage four pancreatic cancer. And so we lost her in like a month and a half. And so 18-year-old me is looks back at that as a painful, painful memory. And so when I was in my college years, mid-20s, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't think of this memory until like there was one day in prayer in my late 20s where it kept coming up and I was like, oh, I do not want this memory. But the Lord in that time said, quit looking at yourself and look at your grandma during that time. And so I was like, oh, fine. And so it was very painful, this prayer of like, okay, I woke up, poor grandma, you know, she was napping because she was in pain. And, um, what happened was a great reversal and it took a lot of time in me coming back to this prayer of progressive healing where all of a sudden that memory became an inspiration. My grandma loved me so much that when she was in pain and sleepy, she still did a favor for me. And so for the rest of my life, it's like, Hey, when my 80 year old grandma with stage four cancer, if she got up from a nap to help someone, you can, you can do it too. Like, you know, it's, it's more of an inspiration, but that took years of healing and a slow progression. And who did that? Jesus. Because why? I was sitting in prayer with a memory I didn't want to talk about. So when Jesus heals, it can be instantaneous or it can take a little bit of time and it can be painful. But in the end, something that was a wound can become a source of strength. And so that's the healing that Jesus can really, really do on emotional, intellectual levels. So, um, yeah, kind of take that into consideration. Look at your own past. Is there maybe even going to take just a minute? OK, let's let's actually do that.
Okay, I know this is different, um, but we're talking about healing tonight. So maybe just take a moment, um, just recognize, maybe draw inward and think like, you know, is there a memory that there's some place that you find like, I don't like this memory. Every time it comes up, it is something that I try to avoid. It is something that is still wounding me. And I ask you with all kind of reverence to kind of offer that into the hands of our Lord. Instead of viewing that memory as you've always seen it as something to avoid. Offer it to our Lord, and I want you to maybe just take a moment and say, like, if God is purely loving, if he wants to help you and he heals. What would a message be that he would give you in response to something you want to avoid within your own life? And I'll just give you a short 30 seconds or so. Just sit with our Lord, offer him something if he is our divine healer. As we kind of come back to our lesson this evening. If there was something that the Lord kind of brought to your imagination or your memory or a word or a voice or something that can be brought to our Lord for healing. And that's an example of a prayer centered around healing. OK, so. Um, yeah, hopefully the more you can kind of do this, the more you can see our Lord as a divine physician. And these sacraments can help as well, because those who are coming into the church are going to be offered confession. So confession is that time where you are going to, I mean, we'll get into it, but it really is that time of just offering your whole self and then kind of receiving the Lord's forgiveness and healing. So uh, it's a process, but yeah. Use that type of prayer uh, the best you can, because this is exactly why Jesus came, was to offer you suggestion, help, support um, in a certain area. So keep coming back to that. He will. If you offer him the pain, he he wants in. That's, that's the entrance point. So praise God. Okay, so getting into the sacrament of penance itself, we're on that back of the first page. Um, where does this come from? Because... A lot of times um, we want to get just that basis. Like, where did Jesus say, like, specifically to actually confess our sins? Well, John 22, John, sorry, John 20, Matthew 18, and essentially all of the Old Testament. So um, confession in general. In John 20, he said, you know, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Uh, to put this in context, he is with his apostles in the, uh, in the uh, locked room. Okay, so it's a locked room after the resurrection. Jesus just like shows up, breathes on them and says, like, if you forgive any sins, they are forgiven. And 
breathing on or having the breath go over should recall Genesis 2-7. That breath or going over is the same time of creation. Like the Holy Spirit rested on the waters and then created. So this is Jesus creating a whole new process. Not only does he say, if you forgive the sins or any, and it's alerting us to the idea of breathing on them and the Holy Spirit hovering, that it is confession itself. Um, in 2 Corinthians, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation, James 5, the prayer of presbyters, forgive sins, presbyter, priest. James 5, confess your sins to one another. Matthew 18, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There's the old, the New Testament references, but the Old Testament. I know that's very tiny now that I look at. It. You know when you're creating these things and you're, um, let's see, that's not too better. Um, in the Old Testament, everyone thinks like this is a new creation of the New Testament. No, every time sin was handled in the Old Testament, a person sins. They bring an offering or a sacrifice to the priests, be it a goat, a lamb, an oxen, two turtle doves. Um, yes, the, the whole 12 days of Christmas is centered on a Christian, uh, Christian process. The priest performs the sacrifice on behalf of the people to reconcile them to God. Uh, so even in the yearly scapegoat, have you heard that term scapegoat, scapegoat before? It's what you do for your younger siblings. Um, you break the lamp, but Elise did it. Um, so a scapegoat happened where yearly the high priest would take two goats, they would cast lots, and the lot fell on one. That would be the scapegoat. So they would sacrifice the one and take its blood and put it on the other lamb and then send that lamb out into the desert. What that represented was you know, the white pure lamb was how we were created. We were meant to be pure, but putting the blood on it is like the sins. Your sins are as red as scarlet, as it says uh, in the Psalms. And then they send that poor goat out into the desert to kind of represent that the sins are being driven away from the people. So who did this whole process but the high priest? The Old Testament is constantly alerting us to the fact that it is through the priests that sin is forgiven of the people. And what did Jesus do? He just, he, he canonized it or changed it so it's no longer blood and sacrifice because he's the one blood and sacrifice. Now it can just be done with words and contrition, okay? So that's the foundation. Um, sometimes, uh, yeah, so, so hopefully that makes sense. Maybe you didn't have a problem with that, but sometimes you're going to run across people like, well, I just confess my sins directly to God. And I, my counter to that would be, can you show me scripturally where that is? And because I can show you scripturally where he continuously over and over and over has established in the whole Old Testament, use the priests, and in the New Testament, whose ever sins you forgive, I can show you constantly over and over in scripture where it says use the priests in order to reconcile with God. So if if you might feel that kind of disconnect, why can't I just confess to God himself directly? I would ask you to find in scripture references to that and then bring it to me and we can chat about it. Um, long story short, there's 
There's like one that you could kind of use, um, but the evidence against is, um, I would say insurmountable, but but that's okay. So if you feel a conflict there within you, um, hopefully that can kind of help. Just, just seeing like, where does this come from? Why some random priest has to hear my sins? Well, it's been established like that. All right, so moving on to the next one, who can forgive sins? Who can forgive sins? Know this for memorize this. It's God alone. God alone can forgive sins. As as much as like, um, you know, probably average Catholics would be like, well, priests forgive sins. I really want you to put ahead of that. Even my Catholics who are here, just put ahead of that. God alone. Anyone ask you who can forgive sins, you say God alone. But then, if God has all authority, power to do that, He can give that authority out. And so. That's why I use this picture. This is the paralytic. Like so many people were crowding Jesus for healing that this paralytic and his buddies couldn't get the paralytic to him. So they, you know, opened up the roof and let him down. And here it was like the scene where this paralytic is right there and Jesus turns to him and they're like, he's going to do a miracle. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And so it was a miracle, but it's not the one they were looking for, right? Because what did they want? They wanted their buddy up and at him, right? But here's Jesus, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And so instantly, the religious leaders at the time, like, their hearts clench because they're like, that's a God thing. He's, he's blaspheming right in front of our faces. Sure enough, like, he reads their hearts and say, what's just easier, to forgive their sins or to say, and then he looks at the guy and says, pick up your mat, walk, and get out of here. And so he does that. He heals him in order to kind of show them the authority that he does have to forgive sins. So they got their miracle right away, like, your sins are forgiven. Not the miracle they were looking for, but it was an opportunity for the people who were so righteous to, like, seize up and say, God alone can forgive sins. Who are you? And so he's just, he's hinting at us. He is God himself, okay? So that's the important thing to remember. Who can forgive sins? God alone has the only power and authority to forgive sins. But then he loans it out, gives it, distributes it to his priests, okay? So place that in your memories and you kind of think like, who can forgive sins, okay? Um, yeah, as you can see, like I have a lot more words, but just a beautiful picture. So we'll just kind of stare at this picture for a little bit. Let's get to the nitty gritty. Um, you know, the next one, Roman numeral nine, what is required? Contrition and all sins to be confessed is the matter or the stuff. If the Eucharist is the bread and the wine, is that's the matter, the stuff. Um, then the stuff of confession is your contrition, feeling sad for it or wrong about it, and all the sins that you bring. That's the stuff, right? And then the words of absolution are the form. Those are the words that make the sacrament happen. So it doesn't happen if I just randomly like point at you and just like give the words of absolution. That doesn't do anything. That's just the form. So we need the matter of you um, bringing what the confession is about. Uh, yeah, contrition and the sins to be confessed. So that's what's required for this thing to have power and to work. So what should be confessed? Uh, serious slash mortal sins. These are the sins that break up with God. Every time I would teach my uh, juniors in morality for the six years I taught that, um, I'd ask them, you know, what's what's something that you would do that your 
that your significant other would break up with you. And there'd be things like, you know, cheat on them or lie to them or, or something like that uh, to different degrees or lie about something very big. And we'd say, yeah, that that broke that relationship. So same with mortal sin. Mortal sins are the ones that break the relationship with God. So those are the things to confess or to bring to confession. These are the sins that keep us from the Eucharist. Um, so mortal sins are the ones that, yeah, if you have a mortal sin with on your soul, those need to be confessed in confession and get them all, do them all. So those mortal sins, yeah. If you do have a mortal sin on your conscience, abstain from the Eucharist at that time. But literally, on like, I had this last week. Walking into the church, like at, you know, for a 11 a.m. mass, 10.59, and someone was like, Father, can you hear my confession? I'm like, yep. So I took off the microphone just in case, and uh, we went around the corner. Um, and yeah. Stop me anytime. You have a mortal sin. I, I, sure, I should feel a little bad to be like, okay, hold on, everybody. We'll be like half a minute late. But if it's getting rid of a mortal sin, I think the better thing was taken care of. Um, so that maybe that's just my disposition. Yeah, if you have a mortal sin that's keeping you from the Eucharist and you desire the Eucharist, track us down. Um, track us down. Okay. All right. So C, 10C. But if you were designed the graces of forgiveness from God, go anyway. Say it, you don't have a mortal sin, but you struggled with those little white lies. You struggled with the interior judgments of your coworker. You struggled with the interior, like just seething anger that you will not let go. A grudge that's just like, I want to play this grudge out in my fantasy and just like drop a piano on that person. And it's just like, you've had it for a while. Go anyway. Go, to, go get those out of your life, too. So mortal sins are the things that should be confessed, but, you know, get them venial sins out as well, okay? So that's what should be confessed. And confess everything, okay? Confess all at once. So that's what should be confessed. How often should I go? Uh, Catholics are obliged. So if you join the faith, you are obliged at least once a year minimum. Once a year minimum. And it's, you know, our catechesis, how we were taught the faith, some people might not know that. They're like, oh, crud, it's been two years. Um, you know, to for something to be a sin, you have to know it's a sin. Um, so maybe in your catechesis, it just was out of your, your vision or just was taught poorly. My, my brother-in-law joined the faith, um, you know, after marrying my sister. And his catechesis was a little poor. So, like, even the first time for, for communion, they, you know, they go up his first communion. It's like the body of Christ. And he says, thank you. And so um, just because his catechesis wasn't well done, which is fine. We're definitely not perfect. But I hope that we'll teach you enough to say body of Christ. Amen. Amen. Whatever, however you receive. So, um, but anyway, so Catholics are obliged to go at least once a year, just as they are obliged at least once a year to receive Holy Communion. So there's, you see those onces. Um, so that's objectively, you know, you have, you should go obliged to go once a year. Okay. Objectively, but subjectively, honestly, I'd go monthly. The more you can just kind of take stock and have like that private safe zone to talk about your life monthly, 
the more you are going to head in the right direction. You get, you know, free, free unburdening of everything and just a little encouragement. Um, you know, someone's, yeah. If you've not gone to confession with our, our priests, it really is, um, I guess I haven't gone to confession them. So I at least don't know for me, but I've heard from other people that Father Walmire and Father Sita are just encouraging and gentle and give good direction. So I would say once a month is a good subjective. I go, I shoot for every two weeks myself because I'm dealing kind of with um, a lot of heavy things with people. And so my confession is every two weeks. I start to notice like if I'm a little bit more irritable or short, those are my personal signals to be like, oh, when's the last time confession? Yep, I got to go. Um, just that is my, my personal. I shoot for two weeks. Um, we were kind of taught that in seminary that priests need to get that extra, uh, extra graces. So, yeah, I shoot for every two weeks myself, which is great. Um, we'll do, we'll finish this page, then we'll take a short break because tonight is brownies and cupcakes. Oh dear Lord. Um, we'll hit confession after that. Um, so now this is a big one. Is the sacrament of confession, is it private? Yes, it is private, private, private. If a priest reveals the identity of the person and what they confess, or even hints at it, if they do these two things, it is a mortal sin only forgivable by the Pope himself. There's only one person who can forgive the sin of breaking the seal of confession. It is the Pope himself. Only one person on earth can forgive that. Do you think it's really easy to get an audience with the Pope? No. So it is such a serious sin that this is one that is reserved for the vicar of Christ himself. So it is instilled in every priest that this sacred seal is sacred and it is private. Priests go to jail for this. Like, hey, this suspected murderer went to confession with you. What did he, what did he do? I'm, I'm not even going to acknowledge that he went to confession. Well, a witness says he did. So we know. So priests get arrested for obstruction of justice. Um, not as much in America. That hasn't happened yet. Uh, Canada, in the last five years, Canada has two cases, I think. Um, but other countries, yeah, priests get, because the soul is, is that important, the seal is that important. So if you are asking if this is private, this is private. So what happens is the offending priest is removed from ministry. They can't do anything else. If you break the seal of confession, you don't do anything else. You are removed from ministry rehabilitated if you are forgiven by the Pope, and then you're carefully on prohibition, uh, pro, prohibition, um, probation. What am I thinking of? Um, so probation. So you might be away from hearing confessions a long while or even the rest of your life. If it's honestly something where a diocese is like, yeah, we don't need you hearing confessions, you might not hear another confession the rest of your life. So that is how private it is, and that is how serious the church takes this seal and the sacrament that our Lord gave us. Yeah, so does that. So what happens if, uh, what happens is, you know, it's an and thing, reveals the identity of the person and reveals what they said. So um, 
you know, if, if I, if I let it slip, like, um, you know, someone went to confession to me, that's still not, that doesn't break the seal. Uh, but I am so ner- Every priest I've ever met is so nervous of that, that we don't though. I, we do not reveal, even if they're face to face and it's an hour long confession, where were you for an hour, an appointment? Um, so I'm so respecting this so much. I don't bring up anything like the face to face or anything. Um, but the beauty of it is, I think our Lord helps this in the Holy spirit because, um, you get like priestnesia, like amnesia, priestnesia, where you don't care. You don't care. It all kind of blends together. And I get this all the time where people come to me and are like, well, Hey father, it's me. And I'm like, I, <laughs> um, and well, you probably know who I am. I'm like, no. Um, well, I was the one that was in confession the other day. I'm like, okay. I, you just, as soon as you walk out of that, you honestly forget as a priest. Um, is that my next one? Oh, that's kind of later in the, I kind of talk about, but I'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, priestnesia is a real thing. Lastly, before a break of cupcakes and brownies, um, if you could kind of like, you know, do the cupcake sandwich, but with a brownie in the middle, I'll be very impressed. Um, so how do I prepare for it? Um, so actually that's such a good point. We'll actually pause now so that we can be refreshed when we come back to it. So go ahead, uh, take a break, restroom, uh, water, coffee, cupcake, brownie, go for it. <laughs> 